So it's the 24th day of February. You know, Black History Month is almost over. And, uh, you know, we've had 23 amazing Black History Month starts. So 30 plus amazing people will will probably will probably be close to approaching 40 plus. And if you add names that our guest talked about, probably closer to 50 plus. Um, and it's just incredibly, incredibly important. So tell the people who we got today. Absolutely. Um, we, 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 we like people starting their own business, right? Do we, we love young oh, absolutely. people. Absolutely. We, we love that idea. So what if I told you there's a young female starting her own business right now? Ooh, who? Morgan DeBron. And she is the perfect person for the young generation. She is the most successful black entrepreneur. And she, get this, Nick, she's under 30. Really? She is, a, she is the co-founder of Blavity. It's, a, it's what understands, it, it's, a, it's a website for black stories and narratives and media for, for places to get out. And the website receives more than 1 million fresh visitors every month, and it is growing. They didn't give a specific figure, but they said that they're growing amongst all African-Americans, and they're spreading up their network. She wow. gets a million, a million people look at the website every month. Wow. Now, is it just views or subscribers? Both. This girl gotta get on the tank. That's 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 awesome. That's that's awesome. Um, before we talk about our very very important guest tonight, did you know? And I'm sure James doesn't because so far he really oh hasn't. God. You know, oh but did you oh know? God. On this day back in 1980, both Gretzky's and the Edmonton Oilers, first year in the NHL, he had an assist in a 4-2 loss to the Boston Bruins. This gave him 100 points on the season. Get this, in just 61 games, he became the first player in league history to score 100 points before his 20th birthday. And that, my friends, is why they call him the great one. See, and, and this is just my job to shoot out amazing hockey knowledge that James just doesn't know. So the hockey guy, for three consecutive days now, is just getting that schooled. School's in session, boy. Take out the pens, take out the books, and jot these down. And I knew this because the NHL Network was doing a special on Gretzky, and that stat was actually brought up, so I actually knew that. But still, stop. Stop it. But, but it's not about Nick being a clown. It's really about our guest tonight. And this is important. And see, there's a reason why we emphasize so much on Black History. It's not just because I'm a co-host on this show. It's not just because, you know, um, it's, it's like the cool thing to do. It's the fact that African Americans have made an impact on not only American history, but global history. 
time that they get recognized. And two of our guests is very, very important. And one of them is the president of the Negro. That's right, Mr. Bob Kendrick. He became president of the Negro League Baseball Museum up in Kansas City, Missouri, back in 2011. But he started, okay, with the museum since 1993 as a volunteer, okay? And the Negro League Museum is back up and running. It was it was down for a period period of three to four months earlier when the pandemic first started, 25% capacity. So if you're in Kansas, and if you want to go check out some awesome stuff, go check it out, okay? And and that's been the main guest. I, I booked him last week. But thank you to MLB Network, okay? There's this amazing kid, and this is a story I never heard of. His name is Austin P. Ryan. And Jets fans will know will say, hey, that's a familiar last name. But that's not the main part of the story. This child is now seven years old. But when he was four, okay, and he's also been on Steve Harvey, by the way. When he was four years old, and his website is presidentaustin.net. But when he was four years old, him and his father, once a week, would go around giving food to the homeless or whoever would need it. And he calls himself, and he wears this cute little red cape, and he called himself President Piran because he feels what he's doing is something the president should do. And that's caring about people. Now, he made a book, okay? It's only $5.99. You can either get the hard copy book, or you can download it straight to your phone, or straight to your tablet. It's an awesome story. You can read it in one shot. If you have a child, read this book to your child, regardless of age. let, Let them at least be three or four to fully understand. But it's going to touch them. It's going to touch you. And when I was seven years old, helping people wasn't even a thought in my eye. And, and, and maybe that makes me sound bad. But I'm, I'm being incredibly honest. So the fact that at four years old, he had the capacity to understand. You know what? Not everybody's like us, Austin. Not everybody has a mommy and a daddy. Not... Not everybody has a roof over their head. Not, not everybody, you know. So I, I think that's awesome. Um, and if it wasn't for Major League Baseball Network having him on today, I would have never heard about the kid. I he he, he would have never been able to come on this podcast. So and also a big Hank Aaron fan. He he went to Hank Aaron's house. The whole outfit. Classic white jersey of Hank Aaron's, the baseball pants, everything, super adorable, and it's gonna be a fantastic conversation. I'm sure Austin will have conversation questions for Bob. I'm sure Bob will have questions for him. His Twitter, he has 12.1k followers. Guys, go follow this kid. Donate if you can. Buy the book. 
okay? It's only $5.99. You spend more of that in coffee in a day. So this episode is going to be very important, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it once it comes out. I agree, man. Like, the book is fantastic. I read it to my niece. She loved it. It's a really good. This is the most, probably most important episode ever. I think ever. And I know it's going on a limb, but I'm truly serious when I say that this is, this is really important. I agree. We now have everyone here. We got the first time on this podcast, two presidents, Mr. Bob Kendrick of the Negro League Baseball Museum. And the fabulous Austin Pirine, who's doing stuff that most children wouldn't even do or think of to do. And his father, first first things first, how's everybody doing? Man, doing great. Doing great. Uh, thanks so much for having me on, on the podcast. Uh, and even more so, thanks so much for having me on the podcast with Austin. I'm honored to meet Austin. Because you don't mind. <laughs> Austin, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, and I have no problem saying this, let, let, let alone four years old, but when I was seven, I could not picture caring about people like that. I, w- I cared about what I would get for Christmas or what I would get for my birthday or, or stuff like that. So So the fact that You've you've done so much from four to seven. I'm I'm just amazed by you, and you you're you're a fantastic person. Well, you know it's just the right thing to do, so it's kind of normal for me. <laughs> oh, hello everyone. This is James, the other half of the sports dude. It's an honor to talk to two amazing people, and as an African American myself. This is really awesome. And and Austin, I got to say, reading your book, it was awesome. And I read it to my niece, and it was fantastic. Um, well, I decided to, to write a book, man, because that book is awesome. Wow, you read my book? Yes, I did. Thank I read support. your book. Hmm? Thanks for your support. Alright, so let's get this ball rolling. Austin, I'm sure I'm sure you have a question for Bob and I'm sure Bob has a question for you. So what do you wanna ask Bob about? I just wanna ask like what is what does your normal day look like? You know, that's a great question, Austin. It it, it varies from day to day. Uh, with the work that we're doing at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, you know, a lot of my time is spent trying to raise money for the organization so that we can keep the museum afloat. But I also do a lot of things similar to what you did with that wonderful video uh, walking through Mr. Aaron's childhood home of trying to do things to help make people aware of the history of the Negro Leagues. And, and so and it is something that I really enjoy. Uh, I feel so fortunate to do this work 
And the fact that I got to know Mr. Aaron is one of the highlights, you know, of doing this work. You know, I, uh, when I watched your video, I, I just, it, it filled me with so much pride because I tell the story of growing up. I grew up in Georgia. So when Mr. Aaron was on the verge of breaking Babe Ruth's record, and when he hit home run number 715, I grew up in a town called Crawfordville, Georgia. It's about 80 miles away from Atlanta. And Mr. Aaron is my all-time favorite Major League Baseball player, and he was my childhood idol. And so I always tell the story of when he hit home run 715, I'm in my I'm almost 12 years old, so I was a little older than you, but I was just about 12 years old. And so when he hit the home run, and he's circling the bases in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, I'm circling the bases in my parents' living room. And, and my mother had an old couch that was first base. <laughs> it, she had an old TV that was second base, had another old couch that was third base, and she had a recliner that was home plate. And so as Mr. Aaron is touching them all, there in Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium, I'm touching them all in my parents' living room, jumping for joy, celebrating with him. Now, I never thought that I'd get to tell him that story, and I did. He came to visit the Negro Leagues Museum in 1999, and I got to meet my childhood idol, and I told him the story, and he looked at me, and he just started laughing. And, 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 you know, we had a great relationship from the time that I met him in 1999 uh, to the time that he passed away here recently. And, you know, so that's part of what I really enjoy about my work at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. I've gotten to meet some incredible people. And I can tell you this, I am adding you to that list of incredible people that I've gotten to meet. I hope one day that we'll get to welcome you to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Thank you. Other than Hank Aaron, who's your favorite Negro League baseball player? Ooh, that's a great question because there are a lot. And I, I gotta say I'm leaning toward the great Josh Gibson. I wish I could have seen him swing that bat. And, and Josh Gibson was a great catcher, great catcher, who they call the Black Babe Root. But there are others who saw Josh Gibson play who would call Babe Root the white Josh Gibson. Austin G Gibson was incredible. He, he, he had a lifetime batting average of 356, uh, 354, I'm sorry, and in head-to-head -head competition against major leaguers, hit over 420. And he was doing it as a catcher. And, you know, he is still believed to be the only man to hit a ball completely out of Yankee State. And so you hear these incredible stories of, of Josh, and, and you just wish you could have seen him play. But, you know, it's much the same for Satchel Page or Cool Papa Bell, Leon Day, Martin DeHigo. It was just so many great stars in the Negro Leagues, and I wish I could have seen them all play. 
Wow, that's that's really incredible. Um, Terrence, are you with us? I am. I'm here. Okay, so question for you. You obviously have two incredible sons, right? Um, one's one's in the NFL doing big things, but with Austin, right? I I I I read the book as well, and it was fantastic. When you took your son to that neighborhood and you saw him care enough to say, hey, dad, we got to do things. We, we got to get food. We, you know, if, if, if we don't go to bed hungry, we can't let these pe- people go to bed hungry. You know, how, how did that make you feel? You know, you, you know, that such a young little boy who shouldn't have to understand this just understands and is willing to do what it takes. It, it, it really overwhelmed my heart with joy because I was skeptical at first, but he was persistent about getting out there. You know, at the time he was four years old, and here I am making the decision to subject him to the streets of downtown Birmingham. But once he actually got out there and really owned up to what he said he wanted to do, it really made me A, more comfortable, and it really opened my mind up to see that there are some really intelligent people out there that are just down on that look and don't have the support system that I had with my parents, that Austin has with his parents, and also that LaMichael had with their parents. So it really just opened my eyes up, and it, it, it just really uh, let me know that, you know, sometimes small tokens of hope like Austin's act can change someone's lives. And it did happen. We've got several guys that were on the street that now have their own apartments. So it's a really cool experience to work with them. I have a question. Um, I actually have a question for you, um, Terrence, and this is actually, as um, as you're as a father raising a kid and you're seeing your son, you see both your kids do incredible things. I guess my question is that, has a, like, isn't it like you get a sense of joy to see both of your kids, like your your youngest one and your oldest one doing incredible things? Doesn't that make you, isn't that like the biggest accomplishment for you as a, as a, as a father, personally? Absolutely. It's almost like you're, you're psychic or reading my Facebook profile. I made a post today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's today, like, this is like a couple hours ago. And it hit me, like, both, I have three sons, actually, and all three of them were mentioned on national television in the same day today. So my oldest son, LaMichael, obviously, he plays for the New York Jets running back, LaMichael P. Ryan. And then my middle son is autistic, so he has autism, and he's nonverbal. His name is Taylor. Uh, and then there's Austin, the seven-year-old superhero. So LaMichael was on Good Morning America uh, he was basically on a distant um, interview with them from Miami to New York, and he mentioned his uh, work with the autism um, research organization. So there you go. You got Taylor and Michael being mentioned on national TV, and then all of a sudden you turn around and you have Austin on the Major League Baseball Network uh, talking about black history. So it was just it was a surreal moment. It was really a moment of gratitude for me and just realizing how blessed I am and how fortunate I am considering some of my, my peers have different circumstances uh, with their children. And Bob, do you have a question for Austin and or Terrence? Yeah, I 
Well, you know, first of all, what I want to say, Terrence, is congratulations, man. Because as parents, you know, that's all we ever ask is that we want our children to be the best individuals that they can be. And what I even try to teach my own children is about selflessness and about understanding. Because, you know, we live in such a me society. Everything's about me. You know, how much money can I make? How much can I? And, and the fact that you have those who are looking at how can I help others? You know, in the end, that's really what it's all about. You know, for that time that we're here on this earth and, and the things that I try to share with mine is, number one, there's nothing more gratifying than helping someone else. And for Austin to have grasped that at such a young age, it, it is, it's just beautiful, man. I, I wish you all could see how I'm smiling all the way here in Kansas City. You know, just being able to sit down and talk to you guys. And I talked to my team at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum about that very same thing. You know, the work that we do at the museum is so much bigger than we are. And, and that if we do our job properly, we will leave something that will stand the test of time that others will get to enjoy and hopefully learn and be inspired by the passion and pride and perseverance, the determination, the courage that these athletes demonstrated in the face of adversity. So, you know, that notion of giving back is, is something that is so special. And, and I feel like I got a bond with Austin just because of Henry Aaron and what Henry Aaron means to both of us. And so, Austin, I, I'm just curious, man, what did it feel like when you were walking through Mr. Aaron's childhood home? It felt great. I mean, I don't know what to say. It felt awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, hey, I, I, Austin, I totally get it. Because, you know, the first time I met him, I felt like you felt walking through the house. And, and and then when I gave him the tour of the museum, we had a chance to sit down and we had barbecue together. So he, Mr. Aaron and I were eating ribs together, man. It just doesn't get much better than that. I'm sitting across from a childhood idol and, and sharing uh, ribs. And, and every time that Mr. Aaron and his wife would see me, they would already say, you didn't bring us any ribs from Kansas City? <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> and I got to see his locker, his stove, his cookies, his refrigerator. It's so amazing. Yeah, I, I, it, it really is very cool. And, and I'm so glad that they preserved his home. Uh, which is re really, really special. And, you know, uh, like I said, Henry Aaron meant the world to me. And, and so his passing hurt me a lot, as it did a lot of those who are baseball fans. And, you know, like I said, as a kid growing up in Georgia, anytime, Austin, that we were on the sandlot playing baseball, you know how you had your Henry Aaron uh, Braves jersey on? Anytime we were on the playground, I had to be Henry Aaron. Yeah, I, and I know sometimes the other kids wanted to be Henry Aaron, 
but I was always Henry Aaron. I tried to hold the bat like Henry Aaron. I tried to run like Henry Aaron. And, and so, yeah, he was very special, man. Oh, now, I have to ask, I'm going to ask you, Bob, and I want to ask you, um, Austin, um, both of you, um, seeing, um, talking about Henry Aaron, does, does Henry Aaron, for everything he did, does that also encourage you guys? Because it seems like he touched the youth and he's touched the experience. Like, what's the message you can, you guys taken from from Henry Aaron, the legacy. Well, for me, for me, you know, I tell people all the time, you can never reduce Henry Aaron's career to baseball or his legacy to baseball. Baseball gave him a platform, and then he took that platform, and he used that platform to become a civil rights icon, to become a humanitarian a philanthropist, uh, an astute businessman. And at the forefront of his existence was always trying to make life better for those who have been marginalized in this country, and particularly those who are black and brown. And he dedicated himself to that. You know, we just talked about selflessness. And he dedicated himself to that. You know, his work to make sure that kids were having a chance to be educated, uh, to go to college so that they could dream. You know, I, I tell people all the time, uh, and particularly for Terrence in Austin, my favorite photograph at the museum is a photograph of Mr. Aaron, who at that time was 18 years old, and he's standing at the train station in Mobile, Alabama. And he's about to go leave. This is 1952. He's about to go leave to join the Indianapolis Clowns of the Negro Leagues. And, and Austin, at that time, Mr. Aaron was a cross-handed hitting shortstop. So in Mr. Aaron's case, he was a right-hand hitter who was hitting with his left hand on top. That is unusual because the fear is that you would break your wrist hitting in that manner. Well, Mr. Aaron, guys, is knocking the cover off the baseball in, in a highly unusual fashion. And when he gets to the clowns, they put the right hand on top, and the rest, as they say, is history. Well, in this photograph, and I don't know if this photograph is in his, in, in his birth home when you guys did the tour or not, but in this photograph, you can see that there's a small duffel bag that's at his feet. And that's all he had. He had a small duffel bag. And fellas, he told me, he says, Bob, I may have had two changes of clothes in that bag, a dollar fifty cents in my pocket, and a ham sandwich that my mama had made me, going to go chase that drink. And, and it worked out pretty well for the hammer. And, you know, he never looked back, though. Because he also told me when he was leaving Mobile to go join the Indianapolis Clowns, he didn't know if he was leaving to go play against kids his own age or grown men. And as we know, y'all, he was going to play with grown men, and he held his own. He was only with the Clowns for three months, and before then the Boston Braves signed him 
they would become the Milwaukee Braves. And, of course, Austin, they would then become the Atlanta Braves. And, and Mr. Aaron will go down in this sport as one of the game's all-time greatest players. But it all began as an 18-year-old kid. He must have weighed 150 pounds going off to go join the Indianapolis Clown. Wow. That's, that's incredibly awesome. And a couple more questions before we get Austin out of here. Um, I, you know what I just got to ask? What kind of cookies did Hank eat? I got one more question for Austin. Um, your book is awesome, and I and I read it before. Um, are you going to write another one? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. Uh, we 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 like we like we like books out here, man. Books are fantastic, man. Keep writing more, man. This time it's going to be more about Black history. Awesome. You know awesome. you know what? That's, that that would be a fantastic book that all of us all of us need to read. And and Terrence, if you just want to tell tell the people the website and 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 that they can donate and stuff like that. Um, Terrence, what's the website for our, for, for people listening, um, so that we, so that we can check out the website? The website is presidentaustin.net, and, uh, you can find a lot more about Austin and his story. Uh, he does a lot of other cool things in the community, uh, during COVID. He made children's, uh, workouts and different songs and things, so... Um, I think that it will be a really neat experience for anyone that decides to go visit his website, uh, presidentaustin.net. Well, well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, and we're, we're going to drop the episode in probably half hour, and we're going to tag you on Twitter. Sounds great. Super excited about it, right, Austin? And, and, and Terrence and Austin, I, I want to extend my personal invitation for you all to come see me in Kansas City at the Negro League Baseball Museum so that we can then have some ribs together as well. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. <laughs> I like uh, in all seriousness, I would love to welcome you both to the, to the Negro League Museum. It's a special place. Yeah, nah, so I am looking forward to uh, the opportunity. Hopefully when things open up and everybody's comfortable traveling, we would love to have you here. Hey, guys, one more thing. Yeah? Before, I only knew more about Jackie Robinson, so, I, so my number was 42. Now, since I went to Hank Aaron's house, I know a little bit more about him, and I'm thinking about changing my number to 44. <laughs> great choice. That great that choice. would be that would be a great tribute to Mr. Aaron Austin for sure. Thank oh. you. Bye bye guys. Take care, buddy. Take care, Take care Terrence. Take care. <laughs>
guys. Thank you. Well, that was fantastic. Back to recording with Bob again, Terrence Austin. Thank you, thank you so much. And I just want to say again, thank you to MLB Network for having Austin on this morning. Because again, if it wasn't for MLB Network, I never would have heard of him. I never heard of the story. And I'm so glad it did. Guys, the book is fantastic. You can either buy the hard copy book or or you can download the ebook. It's only $5.99. You can read the whole book literally in five minutes. If you if you have a child, make the child be at least three or four so they can truly understand. Um the book is very kid friendly, great pictures, and it's it's just awesome. See if 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 you go on their Instagram, it is awesome. P Ryan, they got the full six minute clip of him with Steve Harvey, and he's been he's been everywhere. He's been in Puerto Rico. They've they've traveled all over, and it's just awesome. Um, but but continue with Bob. When when you go on Google, and you look up what percentage of Major League Baseball players are African American. The number they give us is 7.8%. That's not a lot. So, not everyone's going to be like Austin who loves baseball. Or, or who's 13 and 14 that loves baseball. Maybe it's because they see the path quicker for the NBA or the NFL. But how do we get the youth more involved in baseball so baseball keeps going and it has the fun it has the passion? And, you know, that's a question that I get asked quite a bit is, number one, what led to this great decline in African-American participation in in our sport, where at one point in time, those numbers were almost triple what you're talking about now statistically, which was a little bit more closely in line with the population. And, and baseball was a sport that was absolutely revered in the African-American community. Because you had the Negro Leagues. And then when you saw the influx of talent that ultimately left the Negro Leagues and went into Major League Baseball, which actually gave Major League Baseball the greatest influx of talent that it had ever seen at one time in the history of the sport. When we talk about what happened from 1947 up until about 1960, early 1960s, baseball has never seen that much talent come into its fold at one time and most of that talent came from the negro leagues and uh, but it reached its apex i would say in the 1970s and then slowly but surely those numbers started to decline and uh, we've been trying to identify what caused that and i think there are a lot of reasons and some of them are socioeconomic and i think that's the hurdle that we're all trying to move beyond now and i think and i applaud Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball's Players Association, and now with the formation of the Players Alliance, that there is a systematic and strategic approach to making sure that kids can afford to play our game. Our game went from being a blue-collar sport, the way that I played it as a kid, because I played it on the sandlots, and everybody played it on the sandlots, and you didn't even have to have nine kids on the team. You just took the number of neighborhood kids, and you divided them up, and if you hit the ball in Mrs. Jones' yard, you were out. You made your own rules up. Well, it's organized now. And when it became so organized, it moved from a blue-collar sport 
to essentially a country club sport. You know, the league fees, the travel teams, the specialization, people are getting batting coaches and pitching coaches. And so a lot of urban kids just simply cannot afford to play this game. And so there is a detachment. And so we're now trying to bridge that economic gap. In Kansas City, right behind the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is the beautiful Urban Youth Baseball Academy, where kids can now come and learn this game when they're young, hopefully grow and be nurtured in the sport. And if their talents are such that they may get the opportunity to move to the collegiate level and then hopefully one day to the major league level. But what we do want to make sure is that every kid has a chance to play this game, that economics won't stop them from at least having an opportunity to play. Now, if you don't like it, you don't like it. You know, I understand that. And everybody's not going to be a major league baseball player. But there are so many other opportunities, and there's so much that we learn through this game. You know, and I don't have to tell you guys, this is a game of failure. And it's crux mm-hmm. is a game of failure. You know, you're going to fail more times than you succeed in this sport. And there's something to be learned through that. You know, you, you, you become more dedicated and passionate, and you have to figure these things out. You know, a guy got me out three times, but I'm going to get him the next time. You know, and it's going to yeah. clutch moment. I got to get him this next time. You know, and, and there's a, a sense of belief in self that comes along with that. And so there's a lot to be learned from our sport. Um, and, and we want to make sure that kids have every opportunity to do so. But I am the consummate glass half full. So I'm the eternal optimist. And I think we already are seeing signs that this is about to reverse itself. But you got to understand, the one thing that we are in this society that we're not, and that's patience. We don't have a lot of patience. And, and what we know is that there, wow. nothing, yeah, there's nothing fast about the game of baseball in terms of the process <laughs> of how you get there. And, and so these these numbers didn't didn't happen overnight. And the fix will not occur overnight. But as we start to see the minor leagues, and we're starting to see this now, the minor leagues are becoming more populated with black players. And it's not unreasonable to be able to start looking at projections so that you can determine when we may start to see more guys making it to the major leagues. But again, baseball is the most inexact science of them all. You know, you can draft, you can draft a guy with the number one draft pick, it doesn't guarantee that he's going to make it. You can draft a guy in the, you know, whatever the latest round that you can draft in, and he might make it. You know, and that's the inexactness of what we're doing. But the fact that there have been so many programs, and I got a chance to go down to Vero Beach, where Major League Baseball and the Players Association put on an elite camp for urban kids, black and brown. And the talent that I saw there, oh, it gives me great hope that these numbers are going to change, man. These are some incredible athletes, and they can play this game. So, yeah, no, I, I feel very assured that we're going to see this thing start to reverse, and we just need to remain committed to for the long haul to make sure that kids can afford to play this game. Uh, Bob, as, um, you know, as, as an African-American as African myself, um, 
I actually I actually played baseball, but I played football more because and against my against 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 my grandma's wishes because she wished I played baseball because she she was afraid she was afraid of me getting hurt. But because I'm such a diva receiver, I I went for that. But um, this has been I'm really glad that you're here because I get to ask this important question. We throughout all throughout our show we dedicated talking about so many African American athletes and pioneer and pioneers and. Because because African Americans have embedded in American history, so I guess the question I want to ask you is, who are who are some of the um, athletes that you know in the Negro leagues that need to talk about more? Because we think Jackie Robinson, we think um, we think Hank Aaron, and we think Kurt Flood, but I feel like there are other African Americans that you know we, that 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 should get talked about more now that the Negro leagues or history books has now coincided with with the MLB. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, there are so many, man. You know, we're talking about some 3,000-plus players who played in these leagues known as the Negro Leagues, and it was filled with great players. So when we look at the contemporaries who made their way into the major league, we talked about Henry Aaron. We talked about the likes of Willie Mays and Ernie Banks and Roy Campanella, Monty Irvin. These guys all made it into the major leagues. and But the guys who didn't get there, who were past their prime, when Jackie breaks the color barrier in 1947. So even Satchel, who does get to the major leagues, we just don't know how old he really was. You know, they say, they say he was 42, and he was likely closer to 52 than he was 42. But he does get there. And he was great when he got there at whatever age he was. But the likes of Josh Gibson and Cool Papa Bell and Boo June Wilson and Leon Day and the great Martin DeHigo, great Cuban ball player, nicknamed him El Maestro, the master, because he could do it all. Played all nine positions. Fellas played all nine of them well. Wow. He is the only baseball player in the history of this sport to be enshrined into five different countries baseball halls of fame he's in the mexican cuban venezuelan dominican and in cooperstown you know or the likes of oscar charleston whom the legendary buck o'neill who founded the negro leagues baseball museum negro leagues legend in his own right great first baseman for the kansas city monarchs would say without hesitation that oscar charleston was the greatest baseball player he ever saw he thought Willie Mays to be the greatest major leaguer. And I don't think most people would dispute that because Willie Mays, as you guys know, could beat you every way in which you could be beaten. He could beat you with his bat, with his arms, with his leg, with his glove. And Mays starts in the, with the Birmingham Black Barons. He's 17 years old, playing center field for the Birmingham Black Barons. But Buck O'Neill believed Oscar Charleston to be the greatest baseball player he ever saw. Now, to put it in perspective, Oscar Charleston was an early era player who was the consummate five-tool guy. Hit for power, hit for average, could feel, could run, could throw. In 1921, he led the Negro Leagues in home runs, triples, doubles, stolen bases, and batting average in the same season. I mean, this is the kind of athlete. You, I tell people all the time. 
Jackie Robinson comes out of the Negro Leagues. He plays for the Kansas City Monarchs in 1945. You got to remember, Jackie Robinson's weakest sport was baseball. He was a much better basketball, football, track athlete, and some say an even better tennis player. So were there other players in the Negro Leagues better than Jackie Robinson? Absolutely. And that is not a disparage Jackie Robinson. It just speaks to the greatness of this talent pool that was there in the Negro Leagues. Wow. Um, Before... I know you got to run, but before we get you out of here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tie a couple of questions into really one. Um, you know they they chose to add the New York League stats to the major leagues. So so when I first heard that, I I figured, hey, Hank's the all time homer leader. But from from the stats in 26 games, he batted 366, 33 RBIs, 41 hits but five home runs. So Barry Bonds is still the leader, but because of steroids, people want, want, they want it to be Hank. You know, a lot of people may think it's already Hank. So that's question one. So what do you think about that? And then question two, how strong really is Hank Aaron? Because he's chasing what many to believe is the greatest baseball player known to want. Babe Ruth can do nothing wrong. He walks on water to most people. So at the time where he's receiving thousands and thousands of death threats, his family had to stay at a separate hotel. There was cops in the stands making sure they were okay. And as he's approaching second base, we all seen it. Two white men are there. And and who knows what he's thinking. He could be thinking, am, am, am I about to die right here? Is this what happens? Right? And And... The fact that he just kept jogging, I give him credit. I would not have been been able to do that. But but they just recognized greatness. And they said, hey, you know what? He beat our guy. But because our, our guy is so great, he has to be great to beat our guy. And they just congratulated him. So, you know, just 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 what, what do you think of all that? Well, you know, it, I, I'm excited about what happened with the acknowledgement that Major League Baseball gave the Negro Leagues by finally recognizing it for exactly what it was, a Major League. Uh, the Negro Leagues wouldn't take a backseat to any league. This was a league that was filled with tremendous stars. And the players in the Negro Leagues, fellas, knew how good they were. These were very self-assured individuals, so they knew they could play. And they knew how good their league was. And quite frankly, the major leaguers knew how good they were. And it was just simply the social conditions of our time and fear that kept them out of the major leagues. And trust me, fear had as much to do with this as anything. Because now we're talking about self-preservation. You know, you only had 16 teams in the major leagues. So if you allow influx of great black and Hispanic talent in, I might lose my job. And these were great paying jobs for that era. And I can understand it's human nature to try to protect what is yours. But the only way, the only way that you can measure how good you really are is by playing with and against the very best. Now, I don't think the superstar major leader was ever concerned about integration. Ted Williams wasn't concerned about integration because Ted Williams could play. But that average major leader, 
was very much concerned about integration. And, and so Henry Aaron is just a great example of that talent pool that came out of the Negro Leagues. So think about this. If Henry Aaron hit 755 home runs in his story career, and if that had happened before 1947, nobody would have believed it. That's how they treat the Negro Leagues. The things that we talk about with Josh Gibson, nobody wants to believe it. But a player who came out of the Negro Leagues did Josh Gibson-like things, and, and that makes it a little bit more tangible and real for folks. You know, and so there are those in the minds of many, if it didn't happen in the major leagues, then it didn't happen. But we're here to tell you that it did. And in the case of Henry Aaron, you got to think about this. This is 1974 when he's going through that ordeal. 27 years after Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier and he is still subjected to the same level of hate and vitriol that welcomed Jackie Robinson into the major leagues because this black man in the deep south was about to break and surpass this iconic major league heroes record, a record that no one thought would ever be broken and certainly not broken by a black man. And that you, you alluded to this, bags upon bags upon bags of hate mail, almost a million pieces of hate mail, death threats. Like you said, his family was in hiding. He doesn't know if he's going to make it around the bases when he hits home run 750. You know, that's what we're talking about that he had to deal with. And yet somehow or another, he found the inner sanctitude to be able to push all of that aside and handle his business. You know, and I think about what happened when those two kids run on the field and they, you're right, they came on to celebrate with him. But do you know his bodyguard was armed? Mr. Aaron's bodyguard was armed. Oh, I heard and, about that, yes. And there were snipers in the ball there were snipers in the ballpark. Can you imagine how tragic this could have been if people were got somebody got trigger happy and thought that those two kids were coming on the field to do something to Mr. Aaron? That's and the, Yeah. I I, I, mean, I gotta be honest, that's that's what I'm confused about. If there were so many threats why were they allowed to get to as close to Hank as they did? Yeah, the fact that they somehow were able to, to get out of the stands and get onto the field. I mean, you know, again, don't know how it happened. I still think someday somebody's going to make a film about this. I'm surprised that it hasn't happened yet because, you know, for me, I think about what happened. You know, he hits home run 713 the year prior. He's got to go the entire offseason, man. You know, every time you step out the house, you're looking over your shoulder. You don't know if somebody's going to try to take you out or not. You know, can you imagine what that must have been like for him? And yet he handled this all with such grace, class, and dignity. And, and somehow or another had a level of innateness that would not allow him to be bitter toward those who had tried to, you know, make his life so miserable. And it was such a difficult time for him. 
you know, I talked when Austin was on the show. I talked about the fact that I got to tour him in 1999. Well, in 1999, they're celebrating the 25th anniversary of him breaking Roots' record. Fellas, it took him 25 years before he could finally celebrate. You know, because... Wow. Yeah, when he breaks the record, there's no celebratory spirit. It was relief. It was like, okay, it's over now. Maybe they'll leave me alone. And and it literally took him almost 25 years later before he finally got to exhale and celebrate what was certainly the most remarkable sports accomplishment in my lifetime. And, and I'm glad that I was alive to witness that, you know. And, and so he's a special, special, special human being on all levels. That's, that's wild. I, I, I don't know how I or Nick could have ever handled this, but 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 I know you're running against it, and I don't mean to keep you on late, but one, I, I, I just want to ask one quick question, and then, then, then that'll be it. Does, is, does that mean that when people before the Negro Leagues, like the Babe Ruth, the Mickey Mantles, can we ever consider them great because they never had to face off against um, African Americans? Is that a fair question to say? I don't, I don't know if it diminishes their greatness, but what we want to make sure is that the players in the Negro Leagues are not diminished either. You know, because you know they, they can play in the Negro Leagues because they wanted to play in the Negro Leagues. They played in the Negro Leagues because they had to play in the Negro Leagues. And yet they found the wherewithal to create a league of their own so that black and Hispanic players had the opportunity to showcase their world-class baseball abilities. And so at the Negro Leagues Museum, we don't look at it from the standpoint of trying to prove that they were better than their white counterparts. But what we do want to have happen when these conversations about the greats of the game emerge, that they're not excluded. You need to know about Josh Gibson and Cool Papa Bell and Hilton Smith and Leon Day, all these other legendary ball players. You need to know about Rube Foster and his brilliance, his genius. You know, and people just didn't know. And so it's our job to make sure that the legacy of the Negro League plays on. It's bigger than baseball, but yet it's still just a tiny part of the great story of the game of baseball. So no, you know, Mickey Mantle would have been great in any league. Babe Ruth would have been great in any league. But it's not far-fetched that there were guys who were just as good and maybe even better that didn't get a chance to play until after 1947. And there are those who believe that Major League Baseball was not major until after 1947 when it opened its doors for all of the great talent to play. That's when it really became major. That's that's awesome. Um, tell the people where they can find you on social media. I'm at, on Twitter and Instagram at NLBM Prez. And to learn more about the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, please visit our website at NLBM.com. There are all kinds of ways in which you can support the museum. We want your support. We need your support to make sure that the legacy of the Negro Leagues are never lost, that they play on. And, of course, we've got the online gift stores, so get your merchandise as another way to help support the work that we're doing in Kansas City. And I hope that your travels will bring you to Kansas City to see this incredible, incredible museum. I got to be honest, 
we we gotta go, Mick. We gotta go. We have not we have not been there. So when we go down, and we will make it at some point this summer, I guarantee you, we will let you know. And and you know what? I also never had Kansas wings either. I I hear they're the best. Hey man, I'm telling you that's like it, it's the best barbecue on the face of the planet. I am not exaggerating. So come on out to Kansas City. See the museum. We'll eat some barbecue and have a great time. Nick, we're going to Kansas City. No questions asked. <laughs>